Physical therapy is everywhere, like even in the White House. Drew Contreras is a retired lieutenant colonel from the U.S. Army and a physical therapist. He was the former White House physical therapist to Barack Obama and VP of the federal section of the APTA. Drew told us his story on deciding physical therapy as a career and then becoming a federal army PT. He served for 21 years in the U.S. Army as a physical therapist, and he tells us what he learned during the Obama presidency. We also talked about the increased need for PT in the military, and as Drew sees the future of physical therapy, traveling inside their assigned units. This one, an easy choice for a top 20 episode of 2020. online at PT Pinecast and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. I absolutely love you, love you, love you. It's it's awesome. <laughs> Here we go. That means it's showtime when you see the beer pouring. Hello. Welcome to PT Pinecast, a podcast that saves you, physical therapists, from missing out on amazing insight, remarkable ideas, and motivational stories in the world of physical therapy. I'm Jimmy McKay. I'm your host today, uh, broadcasting live from the Arius Medical Studios, also known as my bedroom. Uh, find them at aureusmedical.com, hashtag travelpt, that's aureusmedical.com. Great show for you today here on Happy Hour. We talked to retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Dr. Drew Contreras, Army PT, and was the physical therapist in the White House. For President Obama. We got that for you today. Uh, before we bring him in, I want to make sure you don't forget, subscribe to the show, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Deezer Radio, Stitcher, all the good spots where podcasts are heard. Now we're video casting if you're watching here on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, at PT Pinecast on the socials. During the show, if you have a question, a comment, feel free if you're watching us live, drop that below. Let us know what you're thinking. Let us know where you are. It's really weird when we find out this show gets to, well, it's been heard in 172 different countries. I can't name that many countries, but it's been heard in 170-something countries. Let us know where you're listening. Even if it's the replay, let us know where you're located. So uh, be feel free to interact right there. Let us hear from you. Uh, and we're going to give you updates on what shows we have coming up later on this week. If you follow us on the socials, at PT Pinecast, you will never, ever miss a free episode. Now, are you ready? Here we go. Our guest today, as I mentioned, retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Dr. Drew Contreras on the show. Let's bring him in. Drew, welcome to the program. Excited, excited, excited. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, want to uh, welcome you to the show. We're doing the first round here. First question is always the hardest. We get it out of the way first. What are we drinking today? So today, uh, it felt like it was kind of a special event, so I busted out a special bottle for today. Uh, I have a, uh, a Bushmills 12-year, which actually, uh, I don't know if you can see that. So this bottle I got uh, from uh, David Cameron, former prime minister of the UK. Um, this was given out at uh, the last G8 summit before it became the G7, some issue with Russia, thing, yeah, something. Yeah. But, so anyway, I felt like this was a good day to open that up. So, well, cheers to you. I'm doing a uh, Angel's Envy, which is uh, bourbon. This was given to me by the guy down the street at the liquor store when I gave him thirty bucks or something like that. I'm really sure. 
like how you're just dropping names there. It's given to me by a prime minister of something like or <laughs> Uh, so mentioned in your intro, oh, do I want to say thanks to our friends at Owens Recovery Science, uh, Johnny Owens oh, nice. down there with uh, with our friends at the Center for Intrepid, uh, OwensRecoveryScience.com. They bring you their first round. So uh, BFR, if you're looking to add that in your clinical practice safely and properly, Johnny's the guy involved in the research, uh, the instruction. He's got you covered. OwensRecoveryScience.com. Uh, mentioned in your intro that you uh, worked in the United States Army. So I always always like to lead off with saying thank you for your service. So thank you very much for your service to our country. Uh, on top of being a, a U.S. Army, well, let, let's go chronologically. And, and I like this about you is I know a little bit of your story, and but I don't know all of it in, in the chronological order. So let's let's start from the start. When I say where's your physical therapy journey begin, where's it begin for you? So... All right, so story of how I wanted to become a physical therapist. Um, I was your typical uh, Ohio football playing kid and, uh, you know, uh, got hurt, ACL, MCL, um, had to go to therapy, you know, and I distinctly remember my therapist um, standing around in a polo and a pair of warm-up pants with a cup of coffee in his hand and ESPN in the background. And on occasion, he would turn around and yell at me, do like 12 more of those. And then he would just stand there drinking his coffee. And I kept thinking to myself, like, this, this can't be like a job. This isn't what you really do, is it? And sure enough, I was like, this is what you do? He's like, oh, yeah, man, this is the greatest job in the world. And I literally thought to myself, like, I, I should do this. This I can do. So that was – um. That was kind of my, that's how I, I got the ball rolling. And that was my interest to it. Um, so that, that kind of pushed me down the road. Sure. Uh, then I went, you know, I went to, to undergraduate on an ROTC scholarship. Okay. So I had a four year ROTC scholarship. So I went to a little Catholic school in Northwestern Erie, Pennsylvania called Gannon university Yeah. because Gannon at the time had a preference for the master's degree program to kids who did undergrad there. And master's degree programs were still fairly new at the time. So I was a year old. And, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I, I got into PT school and I got a deferment from the army. So I didn't have to come on active duty. When I graduated, I could go to PT school. And then the funny story is, uh, while I was in PT school, the army actually was in a drawdown and they said, we don't, there's not a spot for you on active duty to go be in the reserves. And I was like, sounds like a plan. So I got a job in upstate New York. Where at? Binghamton. Yeah. Binghamton, New York. So I was working in Binghamton and, uh, <laughs> so this, this is also kind of funny, um, Dating a girl at the time who eventually I married, you know, because that's how it goes. But so I'm dating her at the time and it's been about a year. And at this time in my life, I had long hair, wore a lot of Birkenstocks, <laughs> earrings, like, you know, it's kind of on that trajectory of life. Right. Um, and my father, who's a retired Navy chief, he calls me one day and he said, Andrew. And he's the only one who calls me Andrew, by the way, he says, Andrew. I don't know what you did, but there's a colonel that keeps calling the house looking for you. And I said, well, what'd you tell him? He said, I told him 
that you owed me money and you went to Mexico and I haven't heard from you in years, but if he finds you to let me know, cause you owe me money. And so like, if you've ever been around a Navy chief, that's such a Navy chief answer. Like when some officer calls the God, I've never heard of that guy. So, so I call, I call this Colonel back and I'm like, Hey, uh, what's going on? He's like, Hey, Lieutenant, where are you? I said, Oh, I'm in upstate New York. He's like, you're supposed to be at Fort Benning. And I was like, no, no, I'm in the reserves. He's like, well, listen, Lieutenant, if you want to write a check for all that money we gave you, you can stay there. Otherwise, you need to show up at Fort Benning so you can pay that money back. Wow. So then, you know, my girlfriend at the time, I said, uh, so, hey, babe, um, never just so you know, like I'm in the army and they just called me and I have to go to Fort Benning. And she says, just straight deadpan, right? Like, if you wanted to dump me, come up with something better than that. Oh, wow. She's calling you out. She thought right. totally. you out. Totally. Right. So, so that was the, the rocky kind of rough transition of graduated, had a job, came in the army, and then went down the army path from there. All right. What's uh what's what's being an army physical therapist uh like? Or I should say, what was it like being an army physical therapist for you? I think that being an army PT, the the great luxury you have um, is that at the time, you know, PTs were really kind of hamstrung by you had to have an order if you were a civilian PT. You had to have an order, had to tell you what you could do, what you couldn't do, how many times you had to do it, what days of the week. And the army does not work that way. In the army, you're you're a physician extender, right? You were seen as kind of a a neuromusculoskeletal uh, practitioner, and you just practice independently. So there's nobody telling you what you have to do. Um, you know, you have a lot of privileges that even still civilian PTs are finally starting to get some of them, right? But right. Uh, radiology privileges, limited pharmacy privileges, um, just you, you're just on a, practicing on a higher level because you had more autonomy. Right. Um, so, that, so I think that's, that was the big distinction of, of being an Army PT. How long did you have to do that? Be an army PT? Yeah. How long did you uh, do that? Did that for 21 and change. That's cool. And uh, highlights of where you got to travel? Where were you located? So started off at Fort Benning, Georgia. Uh, then moved to glorious Fayetteville, North Carolina to Fortress Bragg, otherwise known as the center of the army universe. Uh, did a stint there. Um, then got a 15-month uh, vacation to the desert out of there. So deployed with the 82nd Airborne, came back to Fort Bragg, then um, had a stint over at the Pentagon, worked at the Pentagon there, uh, ran the wellness and physical therapy section there, wow. then got slid over to the White House, worked at the White House for quite a while, then finished up at the White House, did a stint at Belvoir and then finished up at Bragg, and now I'm retired. Wow. All right. So hold on. You just kind of like, you just... You just yada yada to use a Seinfeld term. You just yada yada getting slid over to the White House. So, like, how's that work? Are, are there are there always physical therapists, or were there always physical therapists in the White House? How'd that happen? How'd you slide on over from the Pentagon over the river uh, to 1600? So, um, the medical unit at the White House um, historically uh, uses consultants, right? So they have various consultants of whatever specialty so that if they need somebody, 
they, they've already vetted them, right? right? They already know who you are. You're, they're familiar with you. You know how to get there and all these kinds of things. Because in D.C., um, if you leave your, any, wherever you are and go anywhere in D.C., that's like an hour and a half just to do anything. So, right. you know, people leaving the White House, if you had to leave the White House for an appointment, you'd be gone for the day. Yeah, right. You lose. So it just, it just doesn't work. Right. Um, so for all the medical stuff, they have consultants. So um, there were consultants there before me, you know, shout out to, you know, uh, uh, BJ and Carrie Golden and uh, Barb Springer. So there was a consultant position, right? And so at the time, um, I, I'm a I'm a sports medicine SES uh, background guy, so I was over at the Pentagon, and there was a rash of injuries at the White House at the beginning of the Obama administration, mostly due to middle-aged Caucasian men thinking that they were 17 and could play basketball still. Does this have anything to do with uh, President Obama installing a basketball court? We cannot confirm or deny Perhaps. that that would be the reason. It, it depends. But, it depends. <laughs> so, right. So the truth was, right, like now, now there's all these, you know, tendon repairs, Achilles repairs, all this stuff. And you're like, oh, we got to get somebody to take care of these things. So right. they called me, which made sense. I'm across the river, jump on the metro, come across, back and forth and do that. Um, and then, you know, I um, yeah, kind of the – victim of your own success kind of story, right? Like, oh, hey, you know, you, that hurt. you should see that guy. There's a guy down there. We'll see him. He'll, he'll help you out. And then it just kind of evolved from there. That's cool. All right. So we got to ask, like, things about White House. Like, the first time you go, like, you're not taking the tour, right? This is not even in the media room. Like, you're going to – I mean, you're going into the White House. Like, how cool is that? I mean, that's my question. I've, I'm skipping past. Is it cool? Yeah, yeah. The question is, how cool is that? So, you know, the White House is, and so I'd never visited the White House as like a kid or anything like that. So it was a completely new thing to me. Um, and and the White House is kind of the first thing I would tell you is it's bizarrely underwhelming, right? Okay. It is not as physically large. As you think oh, you it an extra structure, yeah, because I oh, went yeah. to PT school across the river in Marymount and I visited oh, it, and, and, the, yeah. and the executive building next to it is monstrous, right? And the White House is like, oh, but on the news, it kind of always looks they shoot oh, it up, I think it looks huge, right? Right, so that the very that was the very first thing I was like, huh, this is not as big as I thought it was going to be, okay? So then, right, and, and then so as you then once you get into it. And you start seeing the things that are there, the things that are around there, then it starts to sink in, right? And, and you really start to get uh, the sense of history, um, and and you get humbled a little bit, right? Yeah. And so uh, a really, so one of the maybe the first week or two that I was there, um, the uh, head usher at the time was a, a Coast Guard admiral, and he said, "You're new. I'm going to take you on a tour." And I said. Okay, because bizarrely, like when you don't really get a tour of the White House when you start working there, it's just kind of like, hey, yeah. let's go to work. Here's where you work. Like, there's but all this is there, but you don't. Nobody that works there goes through that tour process every day. Right. So you know, the admiral took me 
And so we're going around and I was just in complete awe because then he knows everything about the whole place. Oh, this is Abigail Adams' tea set. You're like, oh, geez. Oh, look, there's Gen General Washington's sword. Oh, okay. Oh, and then here's this and here's that. And so right. it, it just gets yeah. super overwhelming. And you're like, man. And then he stopped me on the tour line and he looked at me and he said, listen, if you are lucky enough to be here long enough, this will not be as shiny to you after a while. It's kind of like a new car, right? It's a really great car, but after a while, it just becomes your car. He's like, eventually, if you're here long enough, if you have that privilege, this will get old to you. He said, and when it does, when that day happens, I want you to come on a tour and I want you to stand right here and I want you to look at the people. So we were in the, uh, in the Lincoln, in the, uh, I'm sorry, the, the East Room and just, it's beautiful and people are just there mouths open everybody's just kind of sucking it in and he's like that's the look of people you know this is the people's house right and if you ever lose that just come here and look at them and remember what this place is wow. and so i really kind of took that to heart because uh seven years right um you know it, there were definitely days right where it lost its luster um you know the the, the big joke about the white house is you know no matter what color your hair was before you came there, either it's going to be white or you, if you have any left at all. Right. Got it. And case in point. <laughs> so, um, so like, you know, it, it's a grind, it's a lot, yeah. but, um, but it certainly is. Uh, it's every bit as magical as you think it is. Yeah. That's cool. That's really cool. Cheers to that. I mean, that's just cool to hear like stuff like that. I mean, that's just, I, I was told something similar in radio, which was, you know, in radio, you, you meet rock stars all the time and it's kind of, it's, yeah. it's in the beginning, it's cool. And all of a sudden it becomes, well, it's, it's commonplace. And then a, a morning radio guy who was a couple years older than me said the same thing. He said, remember, you might've re met a bunch of rock stars. Maybe you're meeting this rock band for the fifth, sixth time. He's like, but watch the, the win, the contest winners you're bringing backstage, watch the 13 year old dude. Because that's the person they've died right. to meet. Make sure that you're you don't act too cool for the room for that kid. Make it really special. Yeah, no, and, and it's it's so true, right? And it's, um, and it and it just, I would be doing a disservice if I didn't tell you, like, yeah, it's yeah. that cool. All right, all right. So we got to ask. Uh, so we won't ask about any patients, but you are allowed to talk about some people in the in the big house, right? You're allowed to talk about some people, right? Who are you allowed to talk about? So, I mean, I can tell you, uh, you know, that um, as the physical therapist to the president of the United States, obviously, President Obama and First Lady Michelle Obama, you know, were people that I that I worked with. Everybody else, I worked with everybody from there to the guys doing the yard work. So you were the you were the in-house PT. So that's kind of cool. That's I mean, like, that's, yep. yeah. Um, so let's, let's go with, uh, let's, let's talk about the president first. Like, is he, is that, like, is he, is that, you know, charismatic in person or does he just know how to turn it on when the cameras are on? I mean, what's he, what's he like? So two things about him that are, you know, when people ask me that question, I, I can definitively tell you this. Number one, he's the smartest guy in the room and you don't know it, right? You just don't, you just don't realize it, but, um, Man, he can tell you any conversations he's had, where he's been, where what people said. Like he's just one of those people that never misses a beat, and I think remembers every single thing he ever read. Right. Mm -hmm. So, 
he's that much smarter than you are, right? And I've learned that lesson the hard way once or twice. So yes, fact. Number two, the thing about him is, um, you know, for my entire duration, I had a rule when I interacted with President Obama was I only talked about three things, weather, family, and sports. That was it. Those are the only topics that were fair game to talk about. Sure. Nothing else. Sure, sure. I mean, other than like health, right? Right. But of just like general conversation, that was it. Those were the only things I would talk about. Um, and, and I think that uh, that works out well, right? I think that's a good thing. But the other thing is like he's an absolute sports junkie. Right. Like a junkie. Like – uh, watching old Lakers games, watching old, you know, Jack Nicholas golf matches, like right. everything. Like he is just, ex- just, yeah, he is just bring it all in. So, cool. so definitely, you know, uh, if you didn't know he was, the, you know, if you didn't know him and you like sports and you're just sitting there having a conversation, be a super great guy to talk to. All right. So, so, you're now you're the White House physical therapist. Um, how's that work? I mean, everything comes into play, right? To be just because he's the president of the United States doesn't mean he's not going to have issues. Uh, and that's why you're there. Um, so how did you approach that? Because I mean, that's got to be a little intimidating, right? To know that you're treating the president of the United States of America. Yeah, I, I would be foolish to say that, you know, that you that it doesn't register with you. Right. Right. So, you know, one thing I learned um, actually, I always try to treat all my military patients the same, regardless of rank, right? Whether you were a PFC or a colonel, I did the best I could for you with whatever I had. That was my take. Now, um, I learned at the Pentagon, I had a, a, uh, a mentor, Dr. Block, uh, he's since passed away, but he was a mentor to me. And he had been doing executive medicine for a long time. And he said, Drew, here's the deal. The difference between a secretary of defense and a major at the Pentagon is scheduling and security concerns, right? The major has more time than the secretary of defense. Right. You are not catering. You're not giving him better treatment. You may make yourself more available at the times that they have because they they have scheduling concerns that you don't. Right. So you have to, you have to give that. And so I, I took that into consideration, right? So yeah, you make yourself available to people when they have time. So, you yeah. know, a question that I often heard was like, well, why do they need a PT at the white house? You know, can't they, somebody just go somewhere else? Yeah, they could, right. They, they could have gone to Walter Reed or even over to the Pentagon. But the hangup is, what's an hour of the president's time worth? What's that cost? Right. What would people pay for that? Right. It's certainly more than, you know, at the time Major Contreras was making. No, no doubt about that. Right. So, you know, I, I always equate it to it was it's like being the general's driver. Right. Your job is to sit there with your book, and read it and wait. And when the general needs something, you do it. Johnny and then you go back and you sit back down and you read your book again. So, I mean, obviously, I'm simplifying this a lot, right? But but other than 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 making those scheduling and security concerns, um, treating treating everybody to the best of your skill set is yeah. kind of what it's about. 
So let's go treating um, in terms of White House. Like, was there, where were you, where were you working? Where'd you set up shop? Was there a space for you? Did you have to kind of improvise or what was it like? Yeah, so it was new, right? So um, I set up a space in the EEOB, in the Eisenhower building, which is the big building next to it. And then I had some other locations that I would work out of as well. And um, it was just kind of new, right? Like people hadn't really had a, a therapist to really kind of be there all the time. Sure. Um, so, you know, the nice thing about being at the white house, the, probably the greatest asset you have as a clinician is if I call somebody and said, Hey, um, you know, this is Drew Contreras. I'm the white house physical therapist. I'd like to get your opinion on this or, you know what I'm considering um, using this platform or whatever it is. People take your call. Right. Yeah. So, so there was nothing that was, uh, if I had a question, I could call somebody and I could get an answer. And right. Yeah. So that's a huge advantage as a clinician where if I need something, I can usually get a hold of whatever it is I'm trying to do. Right. I like that. Uh, Air Force One. Did you travel? Because you were the White House physical therapist. Did you go elsewhere? Because, I mean, sometimes the president's gone for you know days. Sometimes it's a mega road trip. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. So um, I spent a lot of time on that jet. Um, I went through a lot of passports. You know, wow. the big bummer was I didn't get a single frequent flyer mile, not one. That's disturbing. I know, right? I've probably been around the, I've probably circumvented the world 40 times. Wow. Right? And not a single frequent flyer mile. Uh, some pretty solid selfies and we shared those uh we shared one of those on uh on instagram what was that one was that when you were like being brought in was that like a ceremony it looked pretty official um i think that might have been like one of the first times like i was like hey like get, get a picture of me in front of the jet um <laughs> and, it, and it's it is what it is right like it's the most recognized uh, plane in the world without a doubt right mm -hmm. and um you know, the thing that's also really interesting about Air Force One is that um, it's such a symbol of America. And, and, it, and it sounds like super like Marco, wave the flag. Like, right. But like what you don't understand is if you're in a meeting of international heads of state, right? When Air Force One shows up, everybody gets out of the way. Right. When we're leaving, everybody waits for us. Wow. Right? So it's just kind of one of those things that you, you know, it's just kind of you, you have to understand um, how that what's that's like and how that kind of works. Um, yeah. You know, and there were some times where we were in countries where I was super glad to just uh, get on that plane. Right. And feel like I was at least somewhat home or at least I knew I was going home, right? Because the trips are long. Um, it, sometimes they, they could be weeks in length, right? Where, wow. Just depending on the where you're going. Um, so, you know, when you forget time zones and you always have to set your, you know, your phone to time zones, you don't quite know where you are, you get jet lagged, then you jump ahead, you jump back and just it gets rough, right? There, there's certainly a price you pay for, for moving around the world like that. Um, but you know, it, it's a little easier when you have your own 747. 
Yeah, it's probably and Spotify. It's pretty sweet. I mean, I saw, I've seen the the Harrison Ford movie. I think probably oh, it's totally like that. Just like Harrison Ford. Probably just like that. Totally. Um, we're gonna bring in we're gonna bring in producer uh, Bridget. She's gonna come into the stream with us. She's got a question for you. She's a second year student at uh, at Sacred Heart. And there she is, uh, Bridget. Okay. Question for for Drew uh, that you have. What do you want to fire away? Um, so my question is, when you were traveling, like, what did a PT treatment session look like? Because you obviously don't have all of your gear with you. Right. That's right. Um, so you become very skilled at this. This is 85% of what I need, right? And this is, you know, another portion of it. Um, and, yeah, I would drag some stuff around or um, – you know, whether that was like an iStim tool or uh, I also became kind of a de facto um, sports medicine guy, like tape. And one time we had an agent take a step off of a steep area. And oh, wow. so I'm taping ankles, right? I'm, I'm doing all the stuff. Um, but the truth is, right, no matter where I was, this was the majority of my skill set, right? And that's that's hard for some PTs to kind of wrap their brains around, right? Because you have to be very confident in what you're doing, right? And because, you know, like you don't even have 110 power in some right. of these places, right? right. So, so if, you're, if all of your treatments are focused on, you know, whatever this gizmo does, whatever this unit can do for this patient, like, you aren't dragging a traction table with you, right? Like you just it's not work like that. So being uh, independent, understanding, you know, what your approach is going to be and planning for that was a big portion of it. Wow. You know, I didn't think about that until you just said an agent. I was thinking about, you know, obviously, you know, office people who work there. You mentioned people who work for the grounds and facilities. I mean, secret service agents, those are tactical athletes who are, you know, they, they don't really have down downtime. You get a guy with a sprained ankle and you got four more countries to go to. That's a big deal. I didn't think about that. Yeah. Right. And it's just like a team, right? That there's only so many people, right? right. There's not like, oh, we'll just get the, the six string guy. From right. you know Punxsutawney to fly out here to yeah, Indonesia. Right. I mean, no, no, you have what you have, right? Um, just like you know, like there's one person who's doing the brief, right? And if that person's miserable or they can't rotate their neck and they're only looking at half the room, right? Like that's a problem, right? Wow. So, right, those are the things that are like the question is always like, well, is it that big of a deal? Do they really need something like? Nothing's a problem until it's a problem. Right. right? Then it's a problem. Right. Yeah. And, and in that line of work, right? Like narcotics are not a solution, right? You're not you're not giving everybody medications because that's not going to happen. So you have to, there has to be another solution, right? And that's where, you know, ha having a PT fit in really well with that, right? Having somebody who had a hands-on skill set that could address problems um, was useful, right? That's why I hung around there so long. I like that. Uh, you mentioned, uh, we mentioned at the top of the show, uh, vice president of the federal section right now. That was a section I don't think I, I knew existed until I was at least like a third year student. Uh, talk about that just, just for a little bit. We just had, we had somebody on talking about that a few months ago, just because I think it's, uh, it's one that a lot of people say, oh, I didn't realize that that's what it, that's what it covered. Right. So the federal section, you know, is, uh, you know, like the sports or the ortho section, um, 
is a section of physical therapists that work for the federal government. And that's either in Department of Defense, the VA, um, Bureau of Prisons, Indian Health Service, um, or public health, right? So people that have these federal jobs, um, it's, it's the group where, you know, we can uh, advocate for things that are specific to them or um, leverage the things that we do well to share with other people, right? Like there is nobody that deals with amputees more yeah. than the federal section. Yep. That is not even a question, right? Um, and so we, we housed a lot of that institutional knowledge and, I, you know, we kind of decided it was a point to um, share share that, you know, share that information. And then, you know, there's a lot of people now um, that are starting to get interested in as now kind of people are starting to understand well, what is, what does being a PT in the department of defense mean? Or what does it mean to be a VA? Right. So then now you have this section where you can network, you can get questions answered, you can find some mentorship. Um, and that's really what the section does. It, you know, it's, it's not a huge section, about a thousand or so members. Um, and it's always funny, right? Because, pe you know, people are like, oh, I don't want to join a section. I'm a student. I don't have any money. It's $25 a year. Like, but that's two Starbucks runs for you. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Maybe. Right. So, you know, we, we you know, the section is not set up. We're not trying to make money. Right. We're not trying to, to we're just trying to exist for the purpose of sharing that platform. So we, do, we keep the dues as low as we possibly can so that specifically students can join. Right. So that yeah. if students are trying to find that that bridge, we're, we're there for. Them. I tell people all the time, if you're going to join a section, um, make sure you know that the special interest groups in a section, they are no additional charge. So join all of them and just take a, a quick, a quick trip around all of them. Cause you're going to, there's a lot of nuggets when you get really narrow, right? So right. like section, obviously narrow, but even more narrow in that, in that federal section has got to be and in the federal section, right? We have the amputee SIG. We have a, um, a, uh, primary care SIG because all of us in the right. federal entities are doing primary care in some way, shape or form. Right. And we have a pelvic floor SIG, right. That isn't just a women's health. It's a pelvic floor SIG because in the department of defense and in the VA, there's a significant number of male pelvic floor injuries. Right. right. And so learning how to address that. So we kind of have a broader approach to that. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. So, right. You have all that. I like that. All right. Drop your questions, comments below. Bridget, you've got one more. Bridget interested, uh, second year PT student from Sacred Heart, interested in uh, in federal and getting more interested. What's your second question, uh, producer Bridget? So I know you said that you, the White House has like a lot of medical consultants. So were you the main one like that was there or did you work with like a whole medical team for the most part? So um, some aspects of the medical unit I can't tell you about. Right. But the medical unit is there. Uh, for two purposes. Number one, to make sure that whatever the healthcare needs are of the uh, commander in chief and those people that are afforded care to facilitate that so that it is not, um, it doesn't get in the way of their, of their duties. The other thing that the medical unit does is it provides um, uh, travel support, right? So for example, depending on what country you're going to, there may be requirements for people to go, go there, uh, vaccinations or whatever, right? So the medical unit facilitates the business 
of the United States if there are medical needs that are associated with that. So yes, there are several consultants. There are staff that are there full time. It's not a huge staff, right? But it's uh, but it's a very busy staff. Yeah, I like that. Uh, Bridget, thank you so uh, for jumping on and uh, and asking that question right there. We've got some more coming in as we see that. Um, Crystal asking the longest question in show history. Thoughts about doing PT as a government contractor. She did a pre-PT observation hours at Fort Bragg. It's kind of cool little connection there. How about that? So, um, so what are some ways I can open doors to those opportunities for alignments? Okay. So uh, I think that the number one thing um, you should do is find a mentor or somebody that can help facilitate that for you, right? Um, just find one. I don't know of anybody who would turn down somebody that was trying to do that, right? We're all, it's, it's a small world, right? So having somebody to, to kind of steer you in the right direction is the first thing. Yeah. Um, and if you don't know where to find that, go to the federal section, the federal physical therapy section. In right. fact, students, I think it's $8 to join. So, right. Come on. Yeah. So do that and they'll help find a way. Um, doing PT as a government contractor. So working as a contractor for the Department of Defense, not wearing the uniform. Right. Um, here's the thing, right? Like taking care of tactical athletes and people that wear the cloth of the uniform or the, the cloth of the nation, right? That is a privilege. And um, I would say that 90% of your caseload will be filled with people who just want to get better and go back and do their job, right? And so that's really enticing, right? Like, I don't know where everybody works that's listening, but, you know, I have my druthers about having a civilian practice and like just dealing with people that whatever their situation is, where I've had the luxury of having people that are almost entirely solely focused on getting better so that they can get back to their units, get back to doing the things that they do. Driven. Right. And so I think that that's, if, if you're interested in that, that's the right gig for you, right? Like Doing this as a contractor is a great opportunity. Um, wearing the uniform is not for everybody. Yeah, I like that. Uh, drop your questions and comments below. We got one more from Zach. He's asking about more future. Um, you know, being the VP of the federal section, having a career in it. Um, I'm sure things change, but where do you see things uh, going? Drew's looking for something in the future of PTs and government in the military. So um, a really, this is a really transformational time for Army physical therapists right now. And what I mean by that is the Army for the first time in 40 years is changing its physical fitness standards, right? And that's coming because the Army has changed the way that we fight our nation's wars, right? We're no longer a bunch of 140 pound paratroopers with a helmet on and a rifle, right? That's not what a soldier looks like now, right? All you need to do is turn on Call of Duty and you'll see exactly, right? You've got plate carriers and bags and heavy weapon systems and all, all these electronics. And so today's soldier looks more like a linebacker than a wide receiver, right? To give it a sports analogy. And so when you realize that, right? We need to make sure that today's soldiers can move, handle the loads, um, can 
get to the fight and then win the fight once they get there. Right. And so, so the way that we evaluate fitness and functionality changes because of those requirements. And so, the, so they finally have changed um, what's called uh, the, the ACFT. So the, the, the physical fitness requirements have changed. And, and, and while they've changed that, what they've done is, so myself, I was the first physical therapist to deploy with the 82nd Airborne back in 2006. And that model has been replicated over and over and over with special forces and regular line units and reserve units. And every time you realize it is a cost-saving measure to have a physical therapist with their skill set forward deployed with troops because we keep people doing what they do at a much less expensive rate um, than anybody else. We have non-pharmaceutical solutions for problems um, to allow people to keep doing their job. So you are a huge cost-saving measure. So what the Army realized is not only are we going to change these requirements, but we're going to give every functional unit in the army their own physical therapist which created a need for another 200 plus physical therapists um which you know didn't quite double it but it was a it's a large increase sure. and then what happens is all those physical therapists that were in the hospitals are no longer in the hospitals you're out with your units so kind of like a team concept right wherever your unit is that's where you're with them. Wherever the team's at, you're with them. So I think that the future of physical therapies in the Department of Defense is mobile, right? You go where they are. This is 85% of your skill set. You got a bag of some whiz bang stuff. Awesome. Figure it out. Right. But that's what it's going to look like. Um, yeah. And I think that that's that model because it's um, so cost saving, right? And just makes sense. I think that we'll continue to have that. Man, if that's not validation for our profession, right? Because the government, you know, you try to get a nickel out of them, right? They, but, but in their in their defense, they put a lot of research into stuff, and they're like, "Well, we're not spending on that." To have them say, "We want a physical therapist with every functional unit," that's pretty valid. That's that's gonna be pretty validating for our profession. Yeah, I, I agree hundred percent, right? And I think you see the value more and more. Um, there was a pretty landmark uh, study that was just published not that long ago by Dan Roan. Uh, an ex-army PT friend of mine um, on knee injections and that physical therapy was a superior treatment to knee injections for knee osteoarthritis, right? Like in the new England journal of medicine, like this is big stuff. This is big brain concepts and ideas and things that like, like you said, more and more, this concept just keeps getting revalidated over and over and over. Um, And I think that the future of physical therapy is great if you've set yourself up to be one of those practitioners that um, I am somebody that can do a lot of these um, treat these kind of everyday issues with people. Right. And I, and I have a skill set that's valuable. Uh, like you said, it just validates it over and over. Yeah. Yeah. What's the cost of, of having an operator or having a tactical athlete out for a week or a month, if we could prevent that or reduce that, uh, we're uh, we're in great shape, and I, I remember the first time it ever clicked for me. We had Rich Westerick on the show, and he said, "Listen, you know, you're you're a marathon runner, you're a triathlete, right?" And that's that was my that was my background. He's like, "Well, you know exactly what what minute of what day the gun's going to go off." Tactical athlete, firefighters, police, EMTs, uh, military. 
it might be six months from now. It might be 20 minutes from now. You've got to be ready at all. That's a different way of training, right? I had to ramp up and I knew when the gun was going to go off and I was going to swim this far. I was going to bike. I was going to run. Tactical athlete, I don't know. Whatever's required. You grab your helmet and go. So it was it was definitely unique the first time I heard people speak about tactical athletes and how how training and treating those people um, were vastly different. Um, I like that a lot. We're going to bring... Um, producer bridget back into the show we're gonna do the flight we want to make sure people know what's coming up we'll give drew a chance to uh to take to take a drink man uh so producer bridget things shows that are coming up later this week and things people might have missed what do we got all right so tomorrow we have jamie schreier at five to talk about targeting your audience private practice we're gonna boost your uh referrals jamie's got you covered what else and then we have nick housley going over telerehab robotics yeah, I'm a dude. I like toys. You say there's robots. I'm like, yeah, let's do that. So Nick's he works for Modus Nova. We're gonna talk to him coming up too. What else is what it's later this week? Um, Eddie Ernest at five on Thursday to go over PTAs as serving as healthcare leaders. He's got a like a cool background. Does a lot of vestibular stuff, but as a PTA, a lot of leadership. So we want to get some PTAs on the show to show them off too. And anything? What else in the future? And then Sarah Cruiser and Mark Sula. Um. And yes. on Thursday to go over the PT health study. PT health studies with Mike Eisenhart um, out of uh, out of New Jersey. They're gonna they're doing some wearable uh, technology population health stuff. If you know who Mike Eisenhart is, very population health forward thinking, but like also tact like practical, like being able to bring it in. So that's uh, that's what's in the future. We just what do we have in the past? Recent we had Michael Cromarty was on the show. Uh, diversity, equity, inclusion. You can look back at that. What else? We have Leslie Walkie with the creating content. Yeah, oncology physical therapist and uh, how she makes those cool videos. All right. Well, that's why we tell people to subscribe so they don't miss uh, a show. Bridget, thank you for giving us the update. We call it the flight. Get it? It's a flight of beers, and it's like we're giving you a sample. We're so witty. That's all we got. All right, Drew. We kind of talked about your background, right? And we talked about like what, what you did treating. I, I want to talk about things that you learned, right? Let's 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 give the audience some the, some tactical things or, or wisdom nuggets. First, uh, uh, sounds pretty prophetic, which is be where you're supposed to be. What's that mean to you? Um, you know, I think uh, hmm. so. As a PT, right, and kind of as a professional, right, there is nothing more just that drives me crazy than people who aren't where there's who don't show up to where they're supposed to be when they're supposed to be there. Right. And I think that, that, that gives, that immediately gives the feedback that number one, um, whoever it is you're working with, that their time's not important. Right. Which is, that's a bad place to start off with. Number two, it shows that you can't manage your own time. Right. Which does not bode well for you. Um, And if you, if you can't, manage that basic thing, I think that uh, there will be several other things that will just kind of domino off of that, right? So so I think that's that's just a tenant that, that you just need to be cognizant of and make sure that that is part of how you operate. So this is literal. You mean like literally be where you're supposed to be? I thought we we're going to go like philosophical, like make sure you no, are where you, you know. Not that deep. No, no. And like meditate. No. And, and so what I mean, but like, like, and yes, philosophically, like if you were in a meeting, be at the meeting. Right. If you were in a treatment session with a patient, be there. Don't right. be somewhere else. And likewise, right. One of the hardest things I had to learn, um, 
in being a military PT is there are some aspects of my job that should not come home with me. They should stay there. And so when I'm home with my wife and my kids, I need to be there with them, right? That's where I need to be, not still at work or still focused or fixated or trying to problem solve something else, right? Right. You need to be there. And and I think that's something that people don't hear enough of, right? You need to be. Uh, friend of the show, Sky Donovan, agreeing agree with love the one you're with, right? That's uh, you get the the line right there. Love the one you're Solid. with, like it. All right, so after be where you're supposed to be, which I was always taught, like man, if you're on time, you're late, right? So make sure you're early. It just, it just shows respect. Nobody wants to be like you. Never want to be the last person in the meeting. People going, oh, we can't start. This person's holding us up. Don't be that person ever, especially for a patient. You got to set. The- so after be where you're supposed to be do what you're supposed to do. This one sounds like it's completely logical after this one. Right. And I think, you know, do what you're supposed to do. I take that to mean people expect a certain level of performance out of you or a certain level of capability. Right. And you should be able to, you should be able to deliver that. Right. Um, Because if you were not right, they're relying on you for something, right? People don't come to see you or work with you because you're incapable, right? So um, I, again, right, kind of just a, a general ethos, all right, right? It's, it's, it's just kind of making sure that your level of professionalism, you're able to deliver on the things that you should. Yeah. Yeah, back what up, back what up, uh, back it up if you say it right. Walk the walk, walk the talk. Uh, third point I want to make: if you don't know, you better ask somebody. Um, no matter that how you that, right? Like you're the president's PT, but like if you don't know, ask somebody. You know what? I learned this lesson um, a long time ago from uh, from a sergeant I had, and I was a young lieutenant, and I forget what it was, but I, I clearly had no idea what I was doing. I was. You know, the old adage in the army is you can't spell lost without LT, right? I was lost <laughs> in the sauce. And he came up to me and he said, Lieutenant, it looks like you don't know what you're doing. And I was like, well, and he's like, if you don't know, you better ask somebody. Like yeah. right now, this isn't a big deal, but someday that might mean somebody's life. Yeah. You know, someday that might mean somebody doesn't get what they're supposed to get because you were afraid to ask a question because you were not informed. People rely on you to make decisions. If you don't know, you better ask. Right. And that's, um, you know, those are things that like kind of when people are like, well, how did, how did you get, how do you end up in the white house? How do you end up on this level of, of just a different plane of, of managing things. Right. And I think that's part of it. Right. I think that understanding that, it's only a fool who thinks they know all the answers, right? You're not expected to know all the answers, but you should know where to, where to get it at. Right. And if there's no answer to be had, it's okay to say there's no answer, right? Right. This is the best that we have, but, but understand that limitation. And I think a lot of us are afraid to, you feel like I don't, if I don't know, it it makes me look inferior. It makes me look like uh, I'm, um, I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, I think it's exactly the opposite, right? I think it shows that, you know, you, uh, your maturity level is to the point where you know what you can and can't do. And that there are times where you got to get some help, right? Yeah. 
knowing how to ask an honest question. Um, it, it, I see this. I saw this a lot as a as a PT student, and I was a second career student, and I f- I fell into that trap where I was like, I'm supposed to know this. So I, if someone asked me a question, my my default response was just answer and give them give give them a response. When if I honestly didn't know, I you know I don't know, but I'll find out for you. I'm gonna go look that answer up. That says okay, they were honest, and I'm gonna get the I'm gonna get the right answer. Because right? they, they can tell when you they can tell on your you know. Listen, so let me tell you a funny story. So one time I was uh, treating a patient, um, and and so I don't talk about who this patient was. Um, they were an expert in a field, and I was treating them with uh, with a modality. Okay. And um, this patient says to me, so give me the specifics of this treatment that you're about to do. Right. I said, oh, well, I give them kind of my standard clinical spiel, right? And then they start asking deeper questions. And I was like, uh, well, you know, kind of directed them back to my clinical spiel. And they asked again. And I was like, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't have that. I don't, I don't know. That's kind of goes beyond my level of, of clinician, but I can get that information for you. Oh, don't worry about it. Um, you know, I got a Nobel Prize in this area. So if you have any questions, I'd be happy to explain it to you, right? Like that would be terrible. It started like, oh yeah, well, I just started lying about whatever ohms or wavelengths. Like, oh, well, when I got my Nobel prize, like, so right, like, uh, you know, you just kind of have to know your limitations, right? Or you're going to find yourself in a bad position. I mean, honestly, that person in that situation was probably either trying to see if you knew or they were trying to size you up. And if you had yeah. started to pull things out of your posterior, they would have known right away because right. there was a Nobel Prize in it. Right, right. So, like, again, right, the assumption that you're always the smartest one in the room. Uh, yeah. No, you just, you know, and, and I didn't know, you know, I didn't know who that, that, that their background looked like that, you know. Yeah. Um, favorite, favorite. I mean, it, it'd be hard to hard pressed not to ask something like this. But favorite moment with uh, with President Obama as a human being, not even as a patient. I mean, you spend that much time with someone who's in that position, who, as you mentioned at the top of the show, is that smart and that charismatic and a leader. Is there a moment that comes to mind that like you 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 think back to in your time in the White House? As far as like between like of of him. Or like, between you two, an interaction between you know you get to spend time with that guy for that long in seven years. Like, are there like is there a funny story? Is there something that sums up like kind of your relationship with him? So the very first time I meet him, like first time, like straight off the bat. So you know I'm there, got my suit on. He comes in, he's talking to the doc. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, hey, this is Drew. He's going to work with you today. Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, uh, all right, all right. He's like, come on, Drew. Come with me. And uh, so I get into the presidential elevator. And the elevator is only for the first family. Nobody else goes in the elevator, right? So it's it's super weird. Like, I'm like, oh, can I, can I go in? Like, right. We do and he's like get in the freaking elevator man so we get in the elevator you know and uh for those people who don't know president obama's from hawaii right and so i get in the elevator he goes hey bro 
what part of the island are you from? And I was like, uh, excuse me? The island. What part of what part of the island are you from? I said, I'm, I'm not from an island. I'm from Cleveland. He was like, Cleveland? Like, Cleveland, Cleveland? I was like, yeah. He's like, oh, I just assumed you were Hawaiian. Or I said, well, I'm Pacific Islander descent, but I'm from Cleveland. He goes, ah, Cleveland. Too bad about LeBron. And I was like, that's what? cold. Like cold. you just like I just met you and you went there. Yeah. And like so immediately I was like, Bears, Bulls, like we're gonna do this. Right. And he's like, Oh, I was like, and you're a White Sox fan? Like, come on, come on. Yeah. I mean, he's, so, he's pushing. Yeah. Right. And and, and I think that's that kind of sums him up, right? Like, you know, he certainly wants to get to know you. Uh, right. once, you know, but also at the same time, like you kind of recognize, like. He's a little bit of a kind of poke at you a little bit, right. um, you know, and, and obviously we had lots of other interactions and conversations over uh, to this day. Right. But it's just that just kind of sums up kind of, you know, I think how our relationship started off and stayed ever since. That's great. Um, overall, good experience. Seven years well spent. I don't want to assume. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's. It's always hard to kind of encapsulate it, right? Because so many things happened. There were so many moments in my life, personally and professionally, that happened over that time that um, it really kind of becomes a significant part of my history, even more so than just, oh, hey, it's a super cool job. That's a you know interesting time. Um, it just kind of folds into my character now, right? And now it's a part of the story of me. Sure. Um, and yeah, look, there, there were some, there were some rough days. There were some days that were not good. Um, you know, there, there were some times where, uh, you know, as a, as a clinician in that environment, you have to be very cognizant of the things that are happening in the world. Sure. Um, and you know, there, there was, there was a moment at one time where, um, a patient was making a comment to me and asked me my opinion on a political thing at the moment. And look, if you if you are on active duty, um, you are not a political person, right? My job was, hey, listen, I fix broke people, great. You need some tips on how to improve, you know, your hamstring length. Let's have that conversation. Right. You don't want to hear my opinion on any political things, right? There right. were several things where I happened to be in the room, you know, as Hamilton would say, I was in the room where it happened. Room, yeah. And, and, but that is not a conversation that, that I am privy to or a part of, right? Okay. So, so that's a part of it. But like, you know, the other thing that is um, for my children, right? They were growing, as they were getting older, I just worked at the White House. That was just normal, right? Like that was just, that was what the life was. In fact, my son, because I didn't wear a uniform for so long, he was, as he was like, you know, five, six, seven, like he didn't even realize I was in the army. Oh, he wow. didn't even know. He was like, what? No, you work at the White House. Like, nah, man, like I'm in the army. Right? <laughs> but, but that was just kind of part of it. Right. Part so it, yeah, yeah it, it just, it, it was what it was, but definitely. Right. Like um, I think that any time as a professional, you were in a, a, a job that has that much, um, visibility right yeah it's it's usually um 
pretty monumental, right? Or incredibly awful. Yeah. Yeah. I can <laughs> One or the other. Yeah. Uh, little Birdie told us you have a Mel Gibson connection. A movie, a movie and Mel Gibson connection. I need to know what this is because he's got several oh, movies that are in my top ten. So I was a young officer at Fort Benning, Georgia, and they were filming the movie We Were Soldiers Once. Oh, yeah. Don't know if you ever saw that movie. Yeah. Um, Battle of the Eye Drain Valley, Mel Gibson. I'm sure it's on Netflix or something now. Well, at any rate, they needed – tens of thousands of extras for this movie, right? To film these scenes where there was training going on and people were preparing for to go to Vietnam, so forth and so on. So if you wanted to do it, every, you could sign up for it and great. So me and a couple of buddies, yeah, let's go be in Mel Gibson, yeah. So we sign up and we're standing there and then you're standing in line and they're just kind of, okay, here's your outfit that you'll wear, here's your hat, here's your this, here's your that. So I'm standing in line and, uh, one of the production assistants comes up to me. He goes, you're some sort of Asian type person, right? And I was like, well, Pacific Islander. Yeah. He's like, I got a, we have a, a feature role that we need filled. Um, and you would be perfect for it. And I was like, what's the role? I, I can do this. I was like, I don't really say lines. He's like, you don't have to see any lines. Um, you get burned alive. So we need somebody to get burned alive. We need like a Vietnamese looking guy to get burned alive. And I was like, all right, I'm in. Right. <laughs> so, so he takes me over to the special effects and the wardrobe people. And they're like, this is the guy. Here's the burned alive guy. Got the burned alive guy. And the guy looks at me and he goes, are you Vietnamese? I said, no, I'm you know, more Pacific on there. And he's like, did you look at this guy? Like, he's like, how, how big are you? He's like, there are no Vietnamese people in 1968 that are 5'11", 240 pounds. None. Yeah. You, this guy is not going to be the burn guy. He was and not so, the expert. Right. So I was like, oh, man, there it goes. There, there weren't my feature role. But were you in the background at least? Oh, yeah. Definitely oh. in the background. And in fact, in the evening night scene, Mel Gibson went to smoke a cigarette, did not have a light. I had it. You? Wow. I'm going to rewatch that. That was a good movie. I like that. Yeah. So, you know, um, that's my, that was my, my claim to fame prior to. I like it. Yeah. Uh, Do you have a, uh, an Obama impersonation? Do you have an an accent? He's pretty iconic with the way he speaks is his timing. Do you have anything? You were around him that much. (laughs) <laughs> nope. Not good. No, like, now no, I'm gonna that no, no. I might pause Syria, but you'll know I'm faking it. So yeah, yeah, I'm yeah that. No, not not at all, man. All right. Uh Drew, you ready for uh for three questions? Let's do it right now. Three questions brought to you by our friends at Arius Medical Staffing. It's A-U-R-E-U-S medical.com. You can see their logo up in there in the corner above Drew's head. Uh, travel PT is still a thing, especially uh, areas uh, in need, your essential workers, PTs, PTAs around the country, all settings. Uh, a lot of people think it's just outpatient ortho. And all locations, too. We mentioned you know places like uh, Alaska, Hawaii, you know, Montana. They have need. A lot of people just overlook those areas. Like, oh, I bet you they don't have, they don't have any need in Hawaii. 
they do. Uh, so check them out online, aureusmedical.com. That is aureusmedical.com. Drew, first question is a where question. Anywhere in the 50 U.S. states, and somebody who's circumnavigated the globe in Air Force 140 plus times, you probably took a spin around this country, a few of them. Where would you want to go spend some time if you could in the U.S.? Oh, I, Hawaii, without a question. It's not even close. Um, you know, Hawaii was never somewhere that I got to before I worked at the White House. And I am convinced that if I did go to Hawaii, I would go completely native and not care about anything in the world. So I won't go there untethered uh, because I'm pretty sure I would just sit around with the surfboardy just drinking out of coconuts. I like it. I'll just play the ukulele. I don't know how many more cliches yeah. why we can get it there. Second question is a what question. Uh, this helps me bring, uh, beef up my reading list or my Netflix queue. What's something you've read, watched, listened to, whatever, that you think the audience would benefit from? Mm. You know, uh, so a uh, I just watched um, a Netflix presentation. It was actually done by Obama's uh, production company on Netflix. Um, and it was about how a Chinese company took over an Ohio plant, uh, a car manufacturing plant. Um, and I, the name of it escapes me at the moment. Um, but it was really interesting as a kid growing up next to a car plant in Ohio, right? Like that was that was I, something I knew very well. And I knew the type of people that worked there and, and the, um, uh, the culture of it. It was really interesting to see how they tried to marry, uh, bring in a, you know, a Chinese culture and institute it into an American plant and kind of look at those cultural differences and look at all those things. Um, and I think, you know, it just really opened your eyes as an American kind of, you see the immediate perspective of what other people see, how Americans function, how we operate, what we do. Um, and then likewise, kind of seeing that um, the, the truth is, right, as Americans, we have it pretty darn good. We have it very well compared to a lot of places. And a lot of Americans, I think, just don't have never had the opportunity to understand that. So if you never saw that, I would say check that out. All right. Third question is a who question. Who's someone the audience should know more about? Um. So shameless plug I would give uh, would be to uh, somebody who's become a really good friend of mine is Sue Falsone. Oh, yeah. I've never talked to Sue Falsone. Yeah, I don't know. Sue is somebody with a um, – is a woman in the field, a lot of firsts, um, but as a PT is somebody who is pushing the profession forward uh, and is really making a difference in the perception of – who we are, what our skill sets are. Uh, so if you don't know anything about her, check her out. Uh, her company, Structure and Function, um, she's great people, and uh, she's worth checking out. Yeah, lucky enough to have her on the show just before her last book came out, um, Bridging the Gap. And, she, yeah, she had first. She was with Dodgers, first woman in professional sports to hold the, the head position. Right, yeah. right. We gotta no, get her back on the show. Let's put that on the dry erase board. Um, that's three questions brought to you by RESAUREUSMedical.com. I want to thank those guys for sponsoring the show for a long time. Again, uh, check out what is available and where the areas in need are here in the country at AUREUSMedical.com. Let's do uh, the parting shot now. Let's bring that about. This will be fun. Let's do the parting shot. got all video effecty there 
thanks to the Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapy for sponsoring the Parting Shot. Find them online at orthopt.org. We just gave away current concepts of orthopedic physical therapy. We're going to give away another uh, another uh, monograph, access to, uh, to more learning from orthopt.org. And we'll be talking more ortho uh, coming up in like two weeks. Uh, parting shot, Drew, is your opportunity to leave like a mic drop moment. Uh, what's one thing as you were just exiting and, and, and leaving the audience with something, what's the message you want you to leave with them today? You know, I think that, um, you know, there was one saying we always had at the White House, um, uh, and that was, you could do whatever you want on your last day, right? And what that kind of meant was, you want to do something wild and crazy? Go for it, because it will be your last day. And fine. But what I, what I, so I always thought about that, right? Is that on your last day, what would you do for your last day? And what I mean by that too is kind of as I've gotten to the point in my professional life where I'm ready to kind of start taking more steps and doing more things, right? I think it's okay for you, for you to, to be all right with it being your last day. I think it's okay for you as a PT or a professional to be like, this is the last time I'm going to do this because there's more for me. There's more things out there for me to go do. Um, and I would encourage everybody to do that. Do those things. Have, let it be your last day. Yeah. Do whatever you want because it's your last day because you're going to go do something else. So uh, I think that that doesn't, isn't said enough to us. I think that, you know, we kind of feel like we're stuffed in these boxes and, you know, we have to kind of do this or do that. Like I would tell you like, no, there's nothing stopping you from going out there and, and being your best you. So do whatever you want on your last day. I like it. Uh, the uh, the 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 followers, the the socials for uh, for Drew on the bottom of the screen there. Uh, appreciate you dropping by. This was really cool. I got a little geeked before we we went live because I was like, wow, I get to ask about the guy who was hanging out with Obama for seven years. It's pretty cool to me. Uh, do want to make sure people know again, Vice President of the Federal Section. If what Drew was talking about today spikes some interest, go hang out with the people who do that. If you're a student. Start rubbing, rubbing some elbows together with the people who are doing that. Ask those intelligent questions because one of those take-home messages was, if you don't know, you better ask somebody. Who better than the people who are doing it and have been doing it? Uh, thanks so much, Drew. Uh, open, uh, open invite. Come back on the show whenever. We'll talk federal. We'll talk, uh, we'll talk whatever. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Great time. All right. Love the PT Pinecast? Yes. Yes. Support the show by telling a friend or by leaving a review on iTunes or Google Play. All right. Show today brought to you by the Brooks Institute of Higher Learning, an innovator in providing advanced post-professional education. Brooks IHL offering continuing education courses in numerous specialty areas, six PT residency programs, an OMPT fellowship, as well as challenging but rewarding internships. The IHL specializes in the translation of information from evidence to patient management, Learn what they can do for you to support your professional development at brooksihl.org. Our home on the internet. ptpinecast.com. Created by Build PT. Build PT provides marketing services specifically for private practice PTs. From website development and hosting. Providing content marketing solutions for PT clinics across the country. See what Build PT can do for you today at buildpt.com. The PT Pinecast is a product of PT Pinecast, LLC. It's poured fresh by me, physical therapist, Jimmy McKay.
Ingredients are sourced by our chief connections officer, Sky Donovan from Marymount University. And it's brewed fresh by producer and physical therapist, Juliet Dassinger. And by producer and creator, second year PT student, Bridget Nolan from Sacred Heart University. PT Pintcast is a podcast that saves physical therapists from missing out on amazing insight, remarkable ideas, and motivational stories. Make sure to follow us online at PT Pintcast and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. I absolutely love you. I love you, love you, love you. It's it's awesome. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening. And if you found value in the show, all we ask is that you tell a friend. This has been another pour from the PT Pinecast. The PT Pinecast is intended for educational purposes only. No clinical decision-making should be based solely on one source. While care is taken to ensure accuracy, factual errors can be present. More on the show at ptpinecast.com.